Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of DevOps for Everyone. Very happy today to be joined by Patrick Bergstrom, CTO at Stormforge. Just before we jump in and get to the conversation, I want to mention our sponsor, InterQuest Group. Now, IQ, for those of you who don't know, are a professional staffing firm who cover tech, product, and sales vacancies in the UK, Europe, and the US. IQ's success over the past decade has been built on successfully delivering contingent recruitment solutions to clients from various sectors, such as fintech, SaaS startups, and the public sector. However, I think we can all agree that we've recently faced something in the staffing industry that no one saw coming. So while delivering on ad hoc contingent vacancies is still a very, very important part of IQ's business, they've now created a new unit to service those clients looking to create the talent rather than simply headhunt the talent. This new model called Hire Train Deploy essentially provides the most in-demand talent for a third of the price, while at the same time upskilling and professionally training new people on your exact tech stack, ready to be deployed within just a few short weeks. So for more information on this or to speak with a specialist consultant covering tech, product or sales, reach out to me for an introduction. Now, onwards with the pod. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So early morning for you? Uh, not too bad. It's uh, 9 a.m. Eastern here in the U.S. So it's about my normal uh, first meeting of the daytime. So it's perfect. Brilliant. Brilliant <clears throat> Friday as well. So uh, how's your week been yeah. so far? Uh, pretty good. Not uh, not as hot as in the UK, fortunately for me. I've got all the shades closed, and obviously I have the benefit of aircon here. That uh, I just I, it boggles my mind that that's not a thing over there. It's it's crazy. Out of everybody in my life in the UK, I think I know one person with aircon in their house. <laughs> that's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, not awesome, I guess this week, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's unprecedented. So I just think everybody was taking like three or four naps during the day on Tuesday. But we're yeah. back to some some sort of normality now, which is good. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, just in time for the weekend. So it's not too hot to get out on the golf course. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, thanks for jumping on. Been looking forward to this for a few weeks now since chatting to you and uh, Patrick 2.0 at Bergstrom. There's two of you now, which confused me when I first started. Oh, yeah. Guys. Yep. <laughs> That uh, that's actually been my saving grace because when I was you know obviously was an executive before with uh, United Health Group and the amount of email that I would get that was unsolicited was just absolutely ridiculous, um, hundreds a day like two to three hundred a day easy. Uh, at Stormforge it's like maybe five or six, and I think the rest of it goes to Patrick Tavares. So I do feel for him, but uh, I appreciate the service that his inbox is providing me. <laughs> filtering out all the unsolicited emails. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, good to have you on. Obviously, I had Patrick on a few weeks ago, but this conversation is all about you and Stormforge and your perspective. So why don't we start by introducing yourself, giving us your opinion and your perspective on who Stormforge is and what problems you're trying to solve for your clients? Yeah, for sure. So um, as you mentioned, Patrick Bergstrom, I'm the uh, Chief Technology Officer at Stormforge. Um, I am entering my, I think it's like my fifth month there, so still relatively new to the organization. But uh, as with all things startup, it's moving fast and furious, and I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Uh, prior to Stormforge, I have a, a pretty pretty deep and hefty enterprise background. Uh, so I was uh, executive at United Health Group, where I ran the site reliability engineering team in the enterprise operations space. 
Um, so we were responsible for uh, essentially responding to and, and helping application teams maintain availability and uptime and high performance and all that fun stuff. Um, and then prior to that, uh, I worked at Best Buy where I built the site reliability engineering team for bestbuy.com. And I did that for several years, um, operating an a e-commerce platform at web scale, uh, going through all the ups and downs of like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of that fun stuff. Um, really like really exciting work and it, it kind of gave me two completely different perspectives on scale I guess you could say like Best Buy obviously was very vertical and we had a lot of hits to one specific platform whereas with uh, Optum it was very wide and narrow so um, thousands of applications none of which really got anywhere near a thousand requests per second uh, but they were all doing really important things like processing bank records or like scheduling software for a surgical suite in Arizona or um, things that like had a, a very real impact to people's lives, which was, which was first for me in tech. It was awesome. It was a really good experience. Um, and then Stormforge. Uh, Stormforge, obviously, we're a little bit smaller. We're a startup, uh, right around 60 employees now. Um, and what we do is we started as a machi machine learning company first, um, and now we've and we used a lot of Kubernetes for all of our machine work learning workloads. Um, and very quickly, we realized that we could save money if we optimized Kubernetes to to use the right you call it the you know the right CPU memory sizes for for the applications that we're running. Um, and so we just very quickly built a machine learning model that did it for us automatically and just kind of fell into this amazing product. Um, so it's been several years now, and we actually have a product now that's out in the market. We've got a full platform for both uh, the pre-production environment or stage environment, depending on what you call it, um, where we leverage uh, uh, workloads and um, you know load testing to drive workloads into the environment. And then we'll play around with all the configurations in Kubernetes and then also with your application to figure out essentially what is the perfect amount of resources that you need and the perfect configuration to run your app in prod. Uh, and then of course, no good plan survives first contact with the enemy. So we do the same thing in production where we can monitor the environment using live telemetry and observability from something like Oh, whether it's Prometheus and you're using open source or we've actually partnered very heavily with Datadog, you can now find us in the Datadog marketplace. Uh, and we will consume your telemetry that you're already collecting for your monitoring purposes and then recommend changes to your environment in production to maximize your availability and performance while reducing your cost and your carbon footprint for your uh, environment as well. So it's really neat. It's, uh, it, it's funny because I had the first couple of conversations with with the team when, when I was trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And I, they described what they did. And I just said, holy cow, where were you 10 years ago? Like, I need this in my life. Uh, so that's one of the things that's really exciting for me is it's I'm selling back to to my persona at Optum or at Best Buy where the COO or the CFO is constantly on their back saying reduce cloud you're spending too much, um, and we found that on average it's like forty percent minimum cost savings which is awesome and that has huge impacts on the environment too from a reducing your carbon footprint and reducing cloud waste perspective. So what that forty percent that's the savings that you guys have to your clients. Yeah, at a minimum, it's we. I think it averages just over forty percent, and we, depending on the client, we typically guarantee at least thirty percent, or we'll pay your next cloud uh, hosting bill. As far as I know, that's still on the website. So if it is, we'll abide by that. If it's not, I you didn't hear that. You have no proof that I said that. <laughs> it's recorded. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. So I know, obviously, you know, yeah. 
cost optimization, cost savings, you know, um, less cloud waste. That's obviously a big conversation mm-hmm. starter for a lot of people now in the industry, but also at KubeCon as well. But 40% mm-hmm. as a minimum or kind of like as an average is quite a higher percentage. Was that yeah. like the target you set yourself or is that just what you found as a result? That's what we have found. Yeah. And if you if you look at all of the, um, like all the cloud waste surveys and pledges that are out there, um, and I was actually, I was just talking about this on LinkedIn the other day, but um, the cloud waste surveys are are tough because it's one of those things where you're asking a company to self-assess, you know, how much of the cloud is actually being leveraged or wasted. Um, and that's something that we're not really good at when it comes to self-assessing on something like that, because if we knew that we were wasting that many cloud resources, like then we would do something about it, right? And so, of course, if you go out and you talk to an organization, they're bound to tell you like, oh, no, we don't waste cloud. We, we use exactly what we need, right? Um, but one of the things that a lot of folks don't think about is that when you're running your containers and you're, for instance, you're looking at your CPU uh, consumption or your CPU idle graphs, and if your CPU idle is cruising along at 95% idle and you're only consuming 5%, like you're wasting 95% of your CPU compute capability, right? Um, so what we do is we come in and we measure all of that. We look at your your usage trends and your patterns, and then the system will recommend configuration changes to reduce the amount that you're consuming without impacting your availability. Because that's as an SRE, that's the first thing that I do is if somebody gives me unfederated access to a Kubernetes platform and they say, hey, like request whatever you need, I'm going to see how high that CPU dial can go because that's how I get availability, right? Like I don't want to be throttled and I don't want to run into an oom killer. So I'm going to consume as many uh, resources as I can. <clears throat> I guess what's interesting as well, when you're thinking about your clients from like an enterprise standpoint, right? If you've got a company that employs, I don't know, 5,000 people, 5,000 engineers, but mm-hmm. they've got a constant churn of people that join and then leave. And then someone has, you know, joined one day, spun up a big, big cluster, they used it, and then they've left like three months yep. later. But that cluster's still live, they're still massive <laughs> across all three different cloud providers, and then it's still charging them, but they just don't realize it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, one of the things that we're, we're kind of figuring out there because there's several different personas that, that we kind of target to help, right? Like, um, there's the application side of the house because realistically, and this is one of my favorite things I talk about, especially since I came to Stormforge, they didn't even necessarily think about it from this angle. But um, I like to say that the the operations team at Best Buy for BestBuy.com is best in class, especially when it comes to performance testing, right? Like they, or at least it was six, seven years ago when I was there, right? Um, <clears throat> they would run a test with almost every single release, which is fantastic. Um, you don't see that in the enterprise at all in most cases, especially across a big microservice capability like BestBuy.com. Uh, and then they would basically put a gate in and say, hey, like if your application got slower, it didn't get faster, you need to be able to explain why, right? Because performance and time to render and time to paint um, on the homepage of an e-commerce website is is a huge metric that they go after. Um, and so really like, Every single week running a performance test, that's almost unheard of. And even then, if you were to do that on an application basis and then change a configuration item to see if it got better or worse, like with Kubernetes, and you've got humans doing it, best case scenario, you can do one, two configuration items with every test that you run, and you run one test a week. And assuming you don't have any sort of like blackout period that all enterprises have now, um, like October to December is your holiday, for instance, right? Like best case scenario, you can get 50 performance tests in in a single year, right? Most organizations are probably doing closer to six to nine. 
Um, our our pre-environment tool will run 150 experiments in a single session. Um, so that's more than a, it would take a, an enterprise group to run three years in, right? And then the other piece of it, though, is we're not just limited to changing the configura configuration items that we think will have an impact, because part of it is there's a lot of human bias that goes into this as, as technology professionals, right? Like we're leveraging on our own past and history to make decisions about what we're going to do in the future. And so that's one of the things I talk about, too, is the reason why I was always a really good SRE is because I broke a lot of things and I saw how <laughs> things fail, right? And so I could always rely on that history and experience to fix the thing that's right in front of me without a ton of context around that thing and how it works and what it does. Um, with our tool, with the, with our machine learning algorithms, they literally will just go nuts trying to change all of the things that it can and, and build the relationship between everything. And then eventually at the end of the session, you get the perfect configuration that will often have changes. Like if we're talking about Java, right? Like we, with uh, one of our customers, the machine made a recommendation to change garbage collection and to a sp very specific parameter. And they literally said, there's no way that that would have any impact. Like, why would, why would we do that? Right. And we're just like, I don't know, the machine recommended it, you know, so let's try it. And so we did. Um, and it had a huge impact on their performance. It improved their performance dramatically while reducing their cost. And so it's really interesting to see like the machine go through these exercises and then come up with something that just goes against all of our biases as technology professionals to something that we wouldn't even think to change. But it, the machine has learned the relationship between everything and it knows how it all works based on its observations running the experiments. And so that's how we get to these ridiculous savings numbers that uh, are just, it seems too good to be true on the surface, but it like, it's real, it's awesome. It's really exciting to me. That is incredible, especially when you think about the machine has actually learned patterns, learned algorithms, and then giving you a result at the end of it, you know, mm -hmm. it's actually going to result in, I guess, if you're dealing with enterprise and you're talking about 40%, it's going to result in thousands of dollars saved in cost spend. Millions, like millions of dollars easily, uh, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome. Absolutely. So just to go back to your introduction then, uh, Patrick, you said uh, that you've obviously spent, you know, Best Buy and a couple of other enterprises and now Stormforge, which is the other end of the scale. So, mm -hmm. um, why pivot? Why make that change from what you knew to something you didn't really know? Yeah, um, one of the things that, so a lot of folks ask me uh, that I mentor that, you know, they ask you how to be successful, like how do you continue to grow? Um, for me, it's constantly challenge yourself and constantly make sure that you're uncomfortable, right? And so um, for me, the enterprise, like frankly, I mean, I don't want to say it got boring, but it kind of got a little boring. Uh, especially when it came to all of the process and the tools and, and having to do things very specific ways and not really being able to make impact in areas that you really want to. Um, one of the things that I was, I was implementing at my last role was a, an open source telemetry project. And we, we finally got it going. We finally got the green light to install it on one particular um, web property that we have that was, it was an e-commerce property. Um, and it took us six months to get the agents from the lower environments all the way up to production and then collecting data, um, which is just it, like it's a pace that I don't operate at. Like it, it's just too slow. I'm not challenged. I'm not learning. Um, and the other piece of it, too, is, you know, obviously there's a lot of really smart people at like Optum, for instance, and certainly at Best Buy. And that was one of the things I really liked about Best Buy is that very rarely was I the smartest person in the room. Like I love surrounding myself with people that are smarter than I am. Um, and at Stormforge, I would easily say that every single person in my organization is smarter than I am. 
uh, which is which is a really really fun place to be. I'm learning a lot almost every single day, which is great. Okay, interesting. So even though you're you know at C-suite level now, so you're chief technology officer, that can mean a number of different things depending on which organization you work yeah. in. At Stormforge, does that mean that you obviously you know you're at the strategic level making C-suite decisions, but you're still a very hands-on engineer as well? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm certainly not a hands-on engineer at Stormforge anymore that, um, you know, I'm not contributing to the code at this point. Um, I'm proud to say, though, that I've used the tool and, uh, you know, I've run it on my own personal Kubernetes cluster that I have here at my house. Um, and it's, <clears throat> which is fun. And I can, part of it for me too, is I, I have PhDs in applied mathematics on my staff, right? Like we are a true machine learning company, which is kind of rare when you think about it with all of the organizations that are out there that are trying to sell machine learning to the enterprise because AI ops is the new buzzword, right? Like there is more than one occasion where I would sit on a pitch call at Optum and somebody would come in and explain to me their thing that's machine learning. And you'd, you'd sit there and it's like, well, hang on a second. Like that's, that's just linear regression, right? I can do that in Excel, right? Like that's not, that's not machine learning. Um, or it's, you know, congratulations, you've figured out how to do a Holtz winter forecast. Like, you know, Graphite has that built in as a function. Um, that's not machine learning. That's just basic anomaly detection. Uh, and so like to hear these these uh, folks talk about the math that they're doing and, and the optimization model they're using. And um, it's really interesting to me. And it's it's really fun to be surrounded by people that are that are truly at a different level. Yeah. Okay. Impressive. I mean, obviously, you know, when you hear about startups and you talk to startups, you work with startups, the first thing that comes to mind in the first thing that comes up in conversations is the agility. A lot of the yeah. times so having agile, mm -hmm. having a, an agile process, you can make a decision like that. You can have to go through a dozen levels of approval, maybe what you're probably used to like six months to be able yeah. to get the agents, you know, so that doesn't exist, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so just to go back to the numbers when you were talking about the, the sort of savings at 40%, there's a public use case that I read online. I just wanted to get your take on a bit more, if you don't mind. And yeah. Acquire? Acquia? Acquia, yep. Acquia. Yeah, so can you just tell us a bit about that project and what kind of uh, problems you solve for them? Yeah, absolutely. So Acquia is a, uh, I think the, actually, I know they are the largest Drupal hosting platform that exists out there. Um, there's some absolutely massive projects on there, um, <clears throat> but all they do is host. They, they're, they don't provide developer services for the mass majority of, of the folks that host on their, their platform. So what they have is they have a, a hosting platform built on Kubernetes um, that is hosting other people's code. And this is actually a really common scenario at the enterprise. So like you can configure and deploy your Kubernetes environment to how you think it's going to behave the best. Um, however, when you're running somebody else's code, like everything goes out the window, right? And so you could have some folks that are really, really good and they're running super efficient uh, application code. And so you've got, you know, containers that and namespaces that are maybe consuming two to 3% of the CPU that you give it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you could have folks that are maybe brand new to Drupal and they've signed up for your platform because they need somewhere to host Kubernetes because they don't want to manage it. Um, and their code is not efficient at all. And so it's consuming a hundred percent of the CPU. It's constantly getting throttled. It's slow um, just because they have a, a function in there that's not correct. Right. Mm -hmm. But as an application, or excuse me, as a platform organization that's hosting, call it 10, 20,000 namespaces, you don't have the time to go through and look at every single namespace to figure out, okay, is it consuming all of its CPU or is it only consuming 5% of its CPU? Like that would literally be the full-time job of 
a dozen people or more to try to get through the entire environment. And everything is constantly changing and shifting anyway. So as soon as you get through it once, you'd have to just keep going at it to try to make sure that you're in the right space from a, a utilization perspective. And so that's where we come in with our production environment tool, Optimize Live. And that's what we did with Acquia uh, <clears throat> is essentially we come in and we get access to all of the namespaces and all of the telemetry data. And then we go through and we change the utilization requirements for every single namespace to optimize it. So there, the vast majority of it is that scenario that I described where you're you know, 50, 60, 70% over provisioned, which is a very common problem at the enterprise in particular. Uh, but then there are actually also others that are mixed in there where you're maybe under provisioned. And so the application is not performing nearly as well as it could. And so we'll come in and we'll reduce the consumption on you know the big ones that are way too big. And then we'll actually add a little bit to the ones that we determine need a little bit more. And at the end, over average, that's where you get that 40, 50% savings mark, um, depending on how big the environment is and what all is out there. So. And this is something that we can do like within minutes, you can start getting recommendations because with our tool, we're plugging into your existing telemetry data. So we can look at your historical data and with Datadog in particular, we hit their APIs and we can pull two weeks worth of data from their environment for your application or your Kubernetes environment. And then within an hour, you have your first recommendation that's actually built on two weeks of historical trends for your application, which is really exciting. It's, it's really awesome. And you don't have to know anything about your environment either. It's just, you know, set up the tool, watch it run, and then you'll get a list of recommendations and then you can choose to approve them and deploy them. Or uh, maybe you don't care so much about that namespace. And so you say, nah, just skip that one. We'll go into something that's more important. And what, what was their feedback after you completed the project? Oh, it was it was phenomenal. Um, they, um, yeah, they that was one of those situations where we were making configuration recommendations to them that their engineer said, why would we ever do that? That doesn't make any sense, right? And then at the end of the day, the amount of money that they saved is just ridiculous. I, I don't know what uh, what we publicly talk about there, so I don't, I'd have to read through the use case to figure out what they allow for us, but... Um, to talk about, but uh, at the end of the day, it was a huge win for them. Is yeah. is essentially what I can say. So, um, yeah, absolutely. There's it was a no brainer for them to continue to move forward with the project. And then this is one of those things where like you run it long term, right? Like, because going back to the performance testing example, um, and I got this question at KubeCon too, which I was kind of surprised. But somebody the the first thing that a lot of people will ask is like, okay, well, why wouldn't I just run Stormforge and then be done with it, right? it's like, well, do you just run one performance test before you send your application to production and then that's it? You fire your performance engineering team, right? Like, um, this is one of those things that you should constantly be monitoring to ensure that you have the the right configuration because your application is constantly changing. And I think Ben Trainer Sloss from uh, uh, Google says it best, but um, at its core, you know, SRE technically is easy. You just make a stable application and then you don't ever touch it. But the reality of the world that we operate in is not that, right? So, yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, Kubernetes in itself is quite a complex thing to try oh, and get yeah. your head around. But then when you've got all this other sort of ecosystem of tech floating around, it's like, where do I start? What's best for me? Yep. Where do I need a little bit of something and then a little bit of something else? So I think, the, you know, what you're saying and from what it sounds like is you've got these big companies like Acquia that you're working with, but to have someone like Stormforge, Mm -hmm. You've got people that understand the benefits of different techs. So you could be like the outsourced company that come in and manage a yeah. project like that. 
We're absolutely and and it's it's great because especially with an organization that's shifting, whether that's you're shifting from on-prem to public cloud and you're gonna go deep into Kubernetes, or even if you were on EC2 instances and now you're moving to Kubernetes, right? Like Everyone always likes to t talk about, and there's this really common misconception that just by default, the cloud is cheaper. Uh, but I think we all know that the cloud is just somebody else's computer, right? <laughs> and so anytime that you have a resource like that that has sold one more layer, there's an additional percentage of margin that goes on top of that. And so one for one, it's actually not cheaper. Um, it gets cheaper, though, when you can take full advantage of the scale and the flexibility of, of it moving on a regular basis and to match the workload that you're running, right? And that's, that's literally what Stormforge does, is we unlock that so that the scalability is, is constantly moving to meet your needs. Um, and it really, truly maximizes your cost savings for, for the cloud and for using Kubernetes in particular. Yeah, so machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, these things, they fascinate me because I don't really see no end goal in sight. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly yeah. throwing up new opportunities. And one conversation that you and I had offline was about the Barack Obama hologram. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I could have just listened to you talk about that all day. So do you want to just sort of bring that up again and tell us? Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, this is one of the things that attracted me to Stormforge in the very beginning is the fact that they have pivoted, right? Like um, any good startup or really, I mean, any software co company in particular, it's your success is based on your ability to pivot and to meet the demands of the problem statements that you've just come across, right? Whether you're a large enterprise or a small organization like Stormforge, you should never be locked into one idea. Um, and Stormforge, I mentioned that at its core, we're a machine learning company. That's literally what we started was it was just a bunch of guys from like Harvard and MIT that, you know, do machine learning and they worked on some really fun stuff. And one of the early projects that they did um, was they were building, a, they were deep into natural language processing, NLP in the very beginning, and then specifically even matching that up with video. Um, so everyone has seen a like a, a AI digital assistant. In fact, I was just at a conference in New York City earlier this year where they had like they were showcasing the future of AI um, and they had a digital assistant, but it was very obviously just pre-recorded messages, right? And then and then CGI that matches up to it. Um, at CES several years ago, back when um, President Obama was um, getting his marketing the healthcare.gov heavily, um, and uh, Obamacare, uh, we built a essentially an AI President Obama that you could interact with. Uh, the the theme obviously was very focused around healthcare and healthcare.gov and Obamacare, um, but you could ask it questions and it would actually respond to you with a generated message. Um, and then it had a video, so it was like a, a hologram um, that would speak that message. And so it wasn't pre-recorded; it was all procedurally generated around specific topics. Um, and it was it was super interesting, uh, and it was a really interesting uh, category to be in. Um, and then it kind of got dark really quickly too, though, because they ended up there were a, a bunch of folks that were super interested in this technology. Um, and one of them, and I, I don't think we can talk about who, but um, they basically wanted a digital memorial uh, so that after they died, like their family could interact with this thing and still interact with them. And it's just like, it's wow. funny because you start out in a specific category in tech, you know, and then it, it goes down a path and you kind of have to take a step back and say, mm, are we comfortable doing that? Yeah. Um, which is really neat. But 
it's those are that's one of those like problem statements that I frankly have never really considered. Um, and so, but I can see why Stormforge wanted to pivot and maybe pause um, going down that path, right? Uh, but yeah, the 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 Barack Obama thing was it was really neat, and it was a really neat experience for them. Um, I know the you know the CEO got to go to the White House and all kinds of fun stuff. So, yeah, that that moving towards the darker side that you mentioned, yeah, that's a bit kind of uh, yeah. I don't know how that sits with me to be honest. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's surprising to me. It's weird. Um, and it's, it's something that I never, never would have considered, uh, using that technology for. And frankly, I don't think we did either. Um, and then it just kind of came up and it's like, mm, I don't know that we want to do that. <laughs> yeah. You're going down the boundaries of kind of like emotional, like human. Yeah. Emotion, yeah. Just, yeah. I'm not sure about that, but that whole Obama hologram that blew my mind because obviously yeah. you know, with machine learning and ai it's far too much for me to comprehend in terms of what can actually be done for good in the world but that story was one that blew my mind and this was several years ago too um, yeah so think of what how it's come on since then yeah exactly yeah because i'm trying to remember i was actually just going to look it up i think it was like 2000 what was that 2014 2015 I don't, or it might have been 2016, but it was yeah, it was it was several years ago, which is just really interesting to me. Well, like, so these to the link out. If there's yeah, I was gonna I was gonna see if I can find it, um, but yeah, I'll I'll see if I can find it and uh, and shoot it to you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll find it. Yeah, I'd love to see that. So outside of Stormforge, do you get the time to work on any side projects within machine learning AI? You got anything cool going on? Um, I don't because I'm not one of those PhD applied mathematics guys, unfortunately. Um, the but outside of Stormforge, like the biggest way that I scratch my my tech and engineering um, is I have a, just a ridiculous home automation system that I'm constantly coding on. So I have um, I actually have a Dell um, R600 series server down in my basement because um, I'm very fortunate to live near Iowa State University and they have uh, they have these sales every Wednesday where you can go and buy old gear. And so I'm always in there trying to see if they're selling any servers or anything. And I can usually find an R600 or an R700 series and so I'll grab it and throw it on my rack. But yeah, so I do have a, a personal Kubernetes cluster that's in my basement running just the most overpowered version of Home Assistant you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, designed to run on a Raspberry Pi, right? And it's like, oh, let's throw a Dell R600 at it. Uh, my electric bill is crazy. I, I should probably get solar. Uh, but yeah, no. So, you know, every light switch in the house is is automated. All my blinds are automated. They all work together. It looks at the weather to figure out if the blind should go up or down, which is really neat. Um, and I never, I didn't really realize it until I think it was like winter last year. My office used to be in the basement. And so I would come up and we have these big windows on the south side that are all um, like it wraps around the staircase and, and so I was coming up the stairs and the blinds were down and I had, I had written automation where, because in Iowa it gets cold at night. So I wrote automation that if it was going to be below 20 degrees at night, close the windows at dusk so that it traps the heat in the house. And so, you know, it gets dark at four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon here in the winter. And so I was coming up the stairs after work one day and all the blinds were down. I just go, Oh, it's going to be cold tonight. And I was just like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> My blinds are forecasting for me. That's great. That is uh, crazy. Yeah. That's brilliant. 
So what else in the house is automated? Like when you approach the fridge, there's a door open for you. No, not quite. Uh, my next project, though, is to automate my patio door uh, because I've got two dogs and the little one, like we, we kind of live on the edge of town. Um, so there's just, you know, rabbits and foxes and a little bit of wildlife in the backyard. So the little one loves to run out and patrol. Um, and so she's just at least once an hour, she wants to go outside. Uh, and so I had, I actually had bought a, a automatic like sliding glass door opener, but the, um, the way that our doors work is like backwards. Like the door that opens is on the outside, not the inside. So it didn't really work super well. Um, so my next project I think is probably pick up a couple stepper motors and, and, um, some RFID tags and figure out how to put like an RFID collar on her and then, uh, open the door. Um, or a one of those uh, smart buttons that they can talk with. Um, I did have one of those originally that she could hit when she wanted to go outside, and it was just relentless. So we had to pick it. We had to pick it up because like she would just go over there and just like punch it. And it's just like, calm down, Hazel. You don't need to go outside. It's fine. About four in the morning, um, and you got a big draft coming up the stairs or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, the way I figured it, it would open for like um, four seconds and then close behind her or something. And then obviously sense so that uh, it would sense resistance so it doesn't crush her. Yeah. Um, because as annoying as she is, I do love that dog. Yeah, so. of course. Fair enough. That's that's pretty impressive. I love that. But I think my wife would uh, would love some kind of automation in our house. But at the yeah. moment, it's just me and her going around shutting windows manually, <laughs> like <Yep>. cavemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I will say, like, the lighting is is super useful too. You know, because like the exterior lights will come on at dusk, and then they'll shut off at a, cer a certain time, and. Uh, like the fan in the master bedroom will automatically turn on if it's above a certain temperature in there and like lights come on and shut off with motion and all kinds of like ridiculous algorithms that just are not machine learning at all. It's like yeah. a, just a flow chart, but uh, someday I'll throw, I'll get like a, uh, um, I'll get a machine learning system down there and, and do NLP and be able to, tell it that I'm hot and the windows open or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Where, where will it end? <laughs> it, yeah. That's the problem with these types of hobbies, right? And there's always something that needs changed. Yeah, absolutely. That is pretty cool though. I have to admit. So one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, Patrick, and one of the other topics I wanted to touch on was about, you know, the, the amount of layoffs that we see going on across the tech industry and across most yeah. industries at the moment as well. So LinkedIn for people that use LinkedIn as much as I do, the feed every day has at least half a dozen posts in there about mass layoffs at big companies. But mm -hmm. with Stormforge, haven't seen anything like that. And in fact, I even read a post about how you haven't let anybody go for a while. You know, you've got great attrition at the business, you know, people mm -hmm. stay and even hiring to a certain degree. So what's what's Stormforge's outlook over the next twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, we're we're growing, um, which is which is great, and it's it's a really great place to be in, and I'm I feel very fortunate about that. Um, we were so we did our Series B. Um, I think it was two years ago we closed Series B funding, and basically we've been fine ever since. And we in our our roadmap for that continues to look great, right? Um, we've got a couple really big deals that are coming down the pipe. And so we're actually actively hiring, um, which I'm really excited for because that means that we're going to be able to continue to expand and, and innovate and, and drive, um, you know, close the complexity gap of Kubernetes for organizations with new features and new products and everything else. Um, which is fantastic. We haven't had to lay anybody off. Um, and it's one of those things where like even Google just announced that they're going to pause all hiring for two weeks, which I've been at enterprises where they do that. And it sucks, right? 
Um, when a company the size of Google talks about that, they're not talking about a dozen hires. They're talking no. about thousands. Yeah. Yep. And that was that's one of the things that I, I kind of pride myself on when it comes to management. Um, as I've always been really good at managing my budget, managing my forecast, understanding the amount of work that I have in front of me, and then making sure that we have the right resources in place to, to meet those needs, right? Like I've never been the type of person where it's like, oh, I'm going to hire 10 people because I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that there's anybody that, that really does that, right? And I'm, I'm certainly not saying that all the other organizations that are having to do layoffs or pause hiring because of a downturn in the economy. Like obviously who could predict that? Um, but it's, it is one of those things where I, I do pride myself on making sure that we are right staffed for the amount of work that we have to do and what we have come down the pipe and, and we're properly managing that. And as, as good as I am at that, like even at Optum, I had to do layoffs. I've had to pause hiring. I've had to, I've never had to rescind an offer, thankfully, because that's, that's something that I just, I will not do. Um, I don't believe in it. Um, but it is one of those things where that's the nature of the environment that we're at for a lot of organizations right now. Uh, but because our revenue is growing and we've got huge projects coming down the line and we've got tons of new features that we want to build, uh, right now we're in a, a position where we are looking to expand that uh, the size of the engineering group to help meet that demand and making sure that we continue to hire in a smart way so that we can continue to um, be successful despite what the environment of the economy looks like, right? Um, so yeah, so we are looking for a backend engineer. I think we're also still hiring for a QA engineer as well to help us with automated uh, uh, integration tests and QA testing and all that fun stuff. Um, we're doing some really neat stuff where we are expanding um, the Kubernetes APIs directly, leveraging the SDK. Um, because our tool integrates natively with Kubernetes in a really big way. So if anybody out there wants to work on some really fun projects, like certainly hit me up. Absolutely. So are you all of your engineers and all of your staff based in the US or do you have people in Europe as well? Uh, so we do have people in Europe as well. Um, we've got some team members in Cologne, Germany, um, which uh, work on our performance engineering side of the house, which is uh, just a really great group of guys. Um, and then we are a remote first workforce as well. So we have an office in Boston and we have an office in DC of which maybe 10% of our staff go to the office. And even then right now with, you know, we're still kind of in that COVID, hopefully the tail end of COVID stage, but um, we're primarily remote first. So like I said, I think I mentioned I'm in Iowa. I've got staff all over the United States, everywhere from California, um, obviously all the way to the East Coast. And then I've got a couple guys. I got one guy that lives in, you know, rural Montana. And it's like, as long as you have reliable internet, hey, that's great, man. I don't <laughs> I don't care where you where you do your work as long as you get your work done, right? Also, <laughs> can like, I come camp in your driveway? Because that yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> like uh, these digital nomads who just work out of the back of a big office. Yeah, like which I've thought about that. Like, I think that would be really fun. And I think especially with, you know, some of the satellite internet options that are significantly better than they were 10 years ago even. Um, that's becoming more and more a real thing, which is neat. Imagine waking up in a different town or different state every month. It'd be incredible. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I uh, We're kind of firmly based here in Iowa because we do. My wife runs a couple of re- retail stores on Main Street, which is really fun. But mm-hmm. I keep telling her, like, let's find a good general manager and then let's hit the road. And Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So how do you uh, how do you keep all the staff? How do you keep all the engineers and everybody in the business kind of on the same track? If you're all remote, how's everybody pulled together and still feel a part of the journey? Yeah, um, so I'm fortunate in that uh, I I was remote since 2018, 2017. Like I've been doing remote work for a while, um, so I'm 
I'm used to it, right? And then even before that, when I was with Best Buy several years ago, 2010, I had a, a stint for about 12 months where I was remote then as well. Um, so it's it's interesting because it's it's certainly not for everybody, except for now that we have COVID, you're, we're all kind of forced into it, right? Um, but there's a couple things that we do. So in, it's interesting because at Optum, um, my workforce was distributed across the globe. I had folks in the UK, India, US. They were mostly in offices, though. A lot, not a lot of them were remote. So we still had little things like we'd had, you know, we had a chat platform that we used to stay connected. And you use emojis, cameras on on meetings, stuff like that. Um, and it was interesting because uh, with a big enterprise like that, one of the things that we always work on or we practice our business continuity exercises and they would come up with just the most ridiculous things. Um, and it was like in 2018, one of them, the exercise that we had was um, a global pandemic that that caused everything to get shut down. I'm just like, how realistic is that? Come on. But, oh my goodness. <laughs> but I'm like, but they were actually, they were so mad at me uh, from an, from my organization perspective because they thought they were so clever. And I was just like, well, no, that's easy. We're all distributed. Just work from home. Done. Next. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and so then in February of 2020, like we pulled that trigger very early, you know, being a healthcare company, you know, you see the trends, you know, what's going on. Um, and so we did, we just said, everybody work from home. Don't come to the office, stay home. Um, which is funny, but so now at Stormforge though, too, there are things that we do to, to drive that culture and keep it alive, right? Like obviously we're very heavy in a chat platform. Um, we do camera on for meetings as our default. Um, and then we also do, uh, engineering offsite exercises. So, um, in fact, just this week I was in Asheville, North Carolina. We, we brought my entire organization together from around the globe. And we just hung out in Nashville. So we did like three days of meetings where, you know, we talked about the current state of the platform. We talked about the things that we want to work on. What are the priorities? What does our product strategy look like for the next six, nine, 12 months? Um, and then we would end every day at like 3 p.m. And then we would go have a team building exercise. So like there's a great little arcade bar. We we uh, reserved the arcade bar for like three hours. And I absolutely destroyed everybody at GoldenEye, which was fantastic. Um <laughs> So, you know, the, the whole servant leadership thing goes right out the window when GoldenEye is involved. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just have, I have no, no empathy for you if you, if you can't get me. Um, no filter when it comes to competition. Exactly. Exactly. Except no odd job, obviously. We have rules. We're not monsters. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it was, it was a really great time. It was great to meet everybody. And then this was the first one we've done since COVID for the most part, too. So a lot of these folks that have been hired in the last two years had never met each other in person. So. Mm. It's always really fun to see if people are as tall as they seem like they are on camera. Um, there were two people that surprised me, which is fun. One of them was like six seven. Um, it's just like, holy cow, you're tall. Um, it's <laughs> you like I knew you were. Yeah, I knew you were over six foot. You can kind of tell, but like not expecting six seven. Uh, but uh, no, it's is so much fun, and it's really great to be able to see everybody and get down in a room um, and just brainstorm and and talk. Um, which is great. So that's that's something that we do every year as well. Um, and then trying to pick fun locations to do it in where there's you know plenty to do outside for team bonding exercises. And Asheville is like the, what is it, the most breweries per capita in the US, I think. So like we spent a lot of time in a lot of really great breweries and it was a good time. Brilliant, that does sound quality. And you know as well, I think when you do those things and you get people in person, when you're finishing your 3 p.m. meeting and you're all walking like, to a team building exercise, that five-minute walk, an idea could spark there that you yeah. get from a team's meeting, right? Those exactly. conversations around the, around the uh, kettle in the kitchen that you don't get anymore. Exactly, yeah. We, you know, we, um, 
the product strategy conversation certainly did not end at three o'clock, right? Yeah. Like it was, and that's a really big advantage of being in person, going to dinner together, et cetera. Like the, it's inevitable that the ideas start flowing and, and the conversation continues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Patrick, that uh, brings us to the end. We've actually been chatting for uh, 45 minutes, but it seems like 10. It's, it's been really fun. I love talking about machine learning, artificial intelligence. And if we do one of these again in a few months' time or 12 months' time, maybe I'll be yeah. speaking to Patrick Bergstrom's hologram. You never know. Yeah, you never know, right? <laughs> Who knows what the future will hold? I know. But yeah, any any final comments from you? People, where can they reach out to you? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at I am Patrick B. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Patrick Bergstrom. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly love continuing the conversation. Uh, this is fantastic. I'll, I'd certainly love to revisit it again. Um, and then I think in just a couple of weeks, we're going to do a, an SRE panel uh, through TechStrong. So follow me on Twitter and, and you'll see an invite to that to come listen to, I think it's going to be Liz Fong Jones from Honeycomb.io. Um, and then we've got somebody from uh, PagerDuty joining us as well. I think it'll be a really great panel talking about SRE and, and what that looks like and, and all the joys and pitfalls that you run into. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's the first thing on your Friday morning. So uh, I'll close by just saying thanks once again and thank you to everybody listening on the podcast platform. Cheers, Patrick. Thanks, Joe. Cheers. Bye. 